Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Things First. Jenna Wolf, Nick Wright, Kevin Wilds. You guys appear to be wearing the same outfit. We should switch you around, put you in the middle, but that's neither here nor there. That would work. We have a fantastic show for you planned today. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Cowboys with a big loss yesterday. What's next for them? We'll discuss. Hey, uh, did Jason Tatum cement himself as an actual superstar last night? We'll break out Nick's tears and we'll bounce that around a little bit. Oh, good. And is this title run LeBron's toughest one yet? We're only asking because he thinks it is. Lakers and Blazers squaring off tonight. Last night's big squaring off. Kawhi and the Clippers taking on Luka and the Mavs. Game one. Playoffs are underway, folks. Let's enjoy it. Kawhi Leonard showed up. 29-12 and 6 out of him. His friend Paul George helping out with 27. And yet, guys, this was a close game until this happened right here. Third quarter. Luka Doncic, Marcus Morris getting a little tangled up there. Kristaps Porzingis stepping in. Shoves Morris, because that's what you do when you're nine feet tall. Porzingis would get hit with a tech. That's his second tech, so he'd be ejected. And that's really all the Clippers would need to regain momentum in this one. So L.A. goes on to win 118-110. They take game one of this best of seven. Here is Kristaps Porzingis after the game. I should have been smarter. I already had the technical, which kind of didn't really have in my mind. Um, I hadn't been in that situation, really, you know, and, 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 and I was smart of him to kind of grab Luke and get into his face and get a reaction out of me. And, uh, and yeah, they, they got what they were looking for. Well, as you would might, might imagine, social media was a buzz after this. Dirk Nowitzki, Dallas Great, big unhappy, tweeting that ejection is super soft. LeBron stepping in, adding, man, that was bogus as hell, man. Come on, man. And Patrick Mahomes jumped in, tweeting, that's trash, man. But none of that emotion compares to what you're going to get from Nick as soon as I am done with this sentence. Nick Wright, your reaction to that crucial injection. In fact, Broussard was sleeping at home, and he goes, you guys are talking flippers. Let me run out of bed, join the show, and here we go. But, Nick, I'll first start with you. What was your reaction to Porzingis' ejection in the third quarter? Yeah, I mean, I, I think America's wildly overreacting. All it was was a potential series-altering indefensible, inexplicable, look-at-me decision (laughs) by these officials. It it was just idiocy upon error upon malfeasance that led to this whole thing. First of all, Chris Stapps gets his first technical because the refs blow a call. He has a clean block. They call it a foul because evidently they the, the seeding games weren't enough to knock the rust off for them. So, of course, you got to give him a technical because he violently punched the air. Then the second issue there is KP did nothing for a technical here. You don't need to go review it, but there's nothing officials love more than going to the monitors. Let's see. Did someone pull out a shiv? Was there a knifing in there? Let's go look. Third, fourth of all, can we maybe have some common sense? No one is begging for a technical here. No one is begging for an ejection. And last of all, for the letter of the law, folks, oh, no, well, listen, punching the air, it's in the rule book, and you're instigating that to the rule book. If we're going to go letter of the law, then letter of the law is Marcus Morris, you're gone too, because he should have gotten a technical by the letter of the law for what he did. That's true, probably. The loop for a letter of the law for what he did to Chris Stapps. So if we're going letter of the law, then let's throw out a bunch of people. I thought Zubach threw in a shove. Let's tee him up as well. It's insane. And all it did was take a game that the Mavs were in total and utter control of after they didn't wake up on the right side of the bed, evidently, and were down 18-2. to two. They were in the midst of outscoring the Clippers over the next 25 minutes of basketball, 69-48. to 48. Broussard's beloved Clippers had no answers for the Mavericks' (laughs) offense until this. And it is ridiculous. It would be ridiculous in a preseason game, much less a playoff game. And the referees must 
show awareness of the situation. You didn't have to review it. You shouldn't have teed Chris Stapps up the first time. You certainly shouldn't have teed him up the second time. And how Marcus Morris gets out of this scot damn free is just beyond me. So, yeah, listen, it's not it a big deal unless you think it's a big deal, Broussard, that now the Mavericks have to win five <laughs> out of seven instead of four out of seven. Can I go now? First of all, let me say <laughs> something. Ahead, please, excuse my face. I was watching these games out in the sun with no sunscreen, so I'm burnt up. But <laughs> while I agree with Nick's overall point, this was terrible. LeBron is right. Dirk is right. Pat Mahomes is right. This was a horrible eject ejection. It was exasperating because, as Nick said, at first, he, you give Porzingis a T for swinging at the air. That is terrible, and I heard Steve Javi's explanation. Of course, he defended the officials, but he's got, he said that the league will reprimand an official if you don't give a player a technical for swinging a fist, even if it's at the air and in no one in particular. I'm sorry. I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, the league's got to give these referees more leeway to read a situation. And even if the league will punish a ref, a referee has got to just stand up and say, look, that is not a technical. All he was doing is showing emotion. He didn't escalate the situation. So the problem was the first tech. That never should have been called. I saw Kawhi Leonard later in the game show more, be more demonstrative Slip out. than and nothing happened. Yep. And not, because he didn't swing a fist, but he was very demonstrative and nothing happened. So it was horrible. I don't even think the second technical was that bad. He's defended a teammate. It didn't escalate into anything. But the problem Ooh. ultimately was the first one that necessitated once he got the second, he had to go. But here's where Nick went overboard. Nick, look, the Clippers were winning this game no matter what. Oh, For give Vegas me, a, give me not, a break. They were going to come back okay. and win this game. Okay. We won't, yeah, they look great. This will not be proven to you until down the line. How many times have the Clippers played a, a mediocre game throughout three quarters? A lot. And they pull away a lot. the fourth. Yeah, a lot. But then yeah. they pull away in the fourth. You will see, Nick Wright. You will see. Okay. It will take days. It will okay. take weeks. <laughs> but you will see and okay. put some respect Here's, on the clip. Yeah, put some respect. I, you're gonna, I'm going to lose my mind. Here, here's a fun fact for the Clippers. Oh, they were going to win anyway. The Dallas Mavericks, as Wilds, you like to point out, the highest scoring offense ever, have played True. 304 quarters of basketball this year do you know how many of those 304 they were held under 15 points one the one last night when Kristaps got kicked out it was their single worst quarter of basketball and despite that it's still a one possession game midway through the fourth quarter because the Clippers, this great defensive team, the Los Angeles Clippers, can't manage to stay in front of Luka Doncic to save their damn lives. But Wilds, I, I, Broussard mentioned a name here, and, I, and I'm sure this is a longtime friend of yours with your deep relations with the NBA, and this is, I'm sure, a reason okay. why I'll likely never get a vote. But... Get I'm not, off I'm not my television screen, boat. Steve Javi. Stop it, Steve. Even Mike Breen, who prays to the book of officiating, was like, okay, this is True. ridiculous. And Steve Javi's like, let me tell you something. These refs are good men, good sons, good brothers, good husbands, and that was a great technical foul. In fact, I think Chris Stapps maybe should be banished. Enough of that. Enough. Everyone watching at Wilds knew it was ridiculous, and it was everyone also knew it was game-altering except for Broussard, evidently, Wilds. So, uh, first of all, I don't know Steve Javi personally, but, uh, you know, I'm all friends with everybody okay. in the NBA, according to Nick. Uh, yeah. Broussard, would you have given Porzingis a tech, the second tech? Do you think that was a warranted tech? I think it was a little overblown because Marcus Moore should have gotten one if, if KP got it. So I, I don't. Okay. So I mean, I not, didn't have as much of a problem with that one as the first okay, one. Okay, that's but what I mean. I didn't even think the second one was bad. Okay, so I, I think the second one he comes in, he escalates the situation, you tee him up. The idea that the first one is unwarranted 
is unfounded because he, Paul George got the first tech for punching the air. So Kristaps needs to know that, oh, they're calling punching in the air. And Kristaps took the tech. So there's Paul George's tech in the first quarter. He's like, why did I get teed up for punching the air? That's ridiculous. So the idea that Porzingis didn't deserve the next tech for doing the same thing that he just took a technical free throw makes no sense. Well, we and contrary have, to popular but here's belief, the, problem. the refs don't want to throw anyone out of the game, Nick. They don't want to do oh, it. They oh, know oh, the situation. Oh, really? Then why'd they go it's review it? The okay, that's nonsense. It's total nonsense. They I, don't with want respect, to throw people I know out that's the game. not respectful because I called it nonsense. Well, they didn't have to. <laughs> they made an affirmative choice to throw a guy out. And one thing that Jeff Van Gundy gets absolutely right on every broadcast is if you always act like a petulant baby, they let you act like a petulant baby. If you are generally well-behaved, that's when you all of a sudden get a technical for swinging at the air. If you got a technical every time you swung at the air, Draymond Green would play 15 games a season. But because it's just what <laughs> the way he acts, and I'm not trying to pick on Draymond, you just bake it in, okay, we're going to have to deal with it. But this idea that there is not a well-established protocol in the NBA, that there is a certain threshold for a first technical and a totally different threshold for a second technical belies all of NBA history. We know that refs throw out the first technical willy-nilly, but then they typically, particularly in the playoffs, are judicious before you throw a guy out. And you mentioned Paul George got a technical for punching the air. If you think they would have thrown Paul George out of that game for doing what Chris Stapps did. You're out of your mind. It was, and, and, and Broussard's saying it with a wry smile. He knows that was a potential series-changing call, certainly a game-changing call. No, you I take do the second not. best player off the court. The Mavericks were killing them. Right, well, the Mavericks had scored 70 points. Can I say 70 one thing, points please? through 26 minutes. Go ahead, Broussard. Yeah, go, go, Quickly, Broussard. go ahead. Your logic, Nick, is the same. When they made the comeback, where was Luka? He was on the bench. Your logic is that, well, they were better without Luka. Look at how they came back. The game has ebbs and flows. It's a long game. Believe me, this is not well, serious. We'll see if it changes the course of the series. Mavs, though, with a chance to redeem themselves. Game two set for Wednesday night. Uh, talk some football. Cowboys took a big L yesterday, and the season hasn't even started yet. That's still ahead on First Things First. Welcome back. Time now for Drawing a Blank. So Donovan Mitchell went off yesterday, dropping 57 points. That is the third most ever in a playoff game behind Elgin Baylor and Michael Jordan years ago. So why couldn't he celebrate? Well, his Jazz lost in overtime due in part to Donovan's eight-second violation. So, Nick, Donovan Mitchell's performance in a losing effort was blank. Bittersweet because of exactly what you alluded to. He'd have been far happier finishing with 45, which is how much he had when he had the, you don't want to kill him for it, but the inexplicable just mental lapse of losing track of the clock. In this moment, the Jazz are massive favorites. They're up four with a minute 40 left with the ball. If they score on this possession, they're going to win. And so the history books will remember this fondly, but in a game the Jazz absolutely had to steal if they were going to have a chance to win this series, Broussard. I think for him, it's a little bittersweet because of that, not just the loss, but that specific error right there. I'm giving the young man plenty of grace on this when I say the word Jordanesque. All right? It, the Ooh. first thing I thought of, and you're right, Nick, that eight-second violation is horrible, and it, it's just an unfortunate situation. However, when, he, when I saw this game, the first thing that came to my mind was he's doing what Michael Jordan did. When Jordan scored 63 against the Celtics, Jordan was 23 years old. Three years. I went with the Celtics. Mitchell went into overtime. Mitchell went into overtime. And both both of them both lost. And so it was a great performance in a loss. It reminded me of what Jordan did against the Celtics. Now go ahead, Wild. Jenna, I went with 
there we go. I went with almost iconic. It's, you know, third most all time, but there was no sort of iconic play. You know, the eight second violation is not going to be iconic, like Jordan crossing up Bird. You needed one really iconic play to get this one cemented, not in the history books, but on your TV, and we didn't really get it. This is the iconic play that everyone's like, oh, 63 points. This is the moment that you'll see on every Michael Jordan highlight. So we didn't quite get that from Donovan. Um, so I went almost iconic. Okay. All right, you know who was in that grainy video almost. there? Probably Danny Ainge. On to Jason Tatum now, who finished with a team on 32 points. dropped on his head, Jordan. You don't want you to remind him of that. Because he wasn't guarding Jordan, Nick. Put him on Jordan. You no, want to see what he, happened. Nobody nobody was. Happier nobody than, was nobody happier than Boston. Uh, nobody happier than Boston winning uh, than Kevin Wilds, who happens to be from Connecticut. But, uh, Nick, Tatum's performance yesterday was blank. Man, I ruined that joke. A career best. I think literally and figuratively. <laughs> I mean, it's his career yeah. playoff high. You also could argue it was, all things considered, the best all-around game of his career. He was excellent on both ends. He topped his, his previous career playoff high, came in game one against Philly two years ago, which was 28, and then he gives you 32. He gives you great defense. He was superb. I, he was in a game with Joel Embiid on the other side. He was the best player on the court, and that's what they're going to need from Jason Tatum, not just in this round, but particularly in the next round against Toronto. So all the credit in the world to Jason Tatum. I thought it was, you could argue, the best game he's ever played all around. Wow. This was a there. message to Nick. Jason Tatum said, I have seen your tears, Nick Wright. What is he, fifth, sixth <laughs> tier in the NBA or something yeah. like Third that? Tier. Eight, Third tier. Message. The message is put some freaking respect on his name. This kid played tremendously, as you said. He, he played bigger, not only better, but bigger than Joel Embiid. Let me, real quick, it, 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 when we're talking about my tears, and this is a great example, and folks get all mad about where Tatum is, you know who's right alongside Tatum on that same tier, that totally disrespectful third tier of the 16th to 23rd best players in basketball? His draft classmate, Donovan Mitchell, who we just talked about, yeah. dropped 57. So let's just all pump, just, we can give the guy credit and not overdo it. Wilds, it's the best game of his career. That should be enough. We don't have to elevate him past. Again, Boston fans are like, oh, Nick, are you ready to admit he's the best player in his draft class? No, but he's really, really good. I think he's an excellent player, and we'll Nick. see how it plays out. It's the best game of his career yesterday, Wilds. Well, as the captain of the tier criticism company, your tiers need more movement. That's why people get frustrated, because he does well and he's sitting still on the tier on the graphic. It's got to be like the stock market. Just move him up. Like, oh, point oh one, green arrow up. I think people would like that. Anyways, about Tatum, I went with uh, missing Ben Simmons. Simmons guarded him all year. He shot 31%. Now he's gone. Matisse yep. did a decent job. But I think you really felt Simmons was uh, Simmons' absence this time. Jason Tatum, 15 points in the second quarter, career playoff high, 32. On to today's slate back. of games. Plenty of high-profile players looking to lead their key teams to crucial Game 1 wins. <clears throat> hey, Nick, the player you are most excited to watch today is blank. Come on, America. It's the answer for me. <laughs> it's the answer for all of you, if you're being honest. The answer is Beyond. the greatest playoff performer in NBA history, who also doubles as the greatest player in NBA history, who also, we might find out soon, is the greatest actor, basketball player in NBA history, LeBron oh James. God. The last time, need I remind the audience, and that's with respect to uh, Penny Hardaway and his performance in Blue Chips, which is, was outstanding. <laughs> but let me remind you, America, the last time we saw LeBron James play a playoff game with two non-broken hands. He dropped 51-8-8 eight and eight on the 2018 Warriors. That's the last time we saw a fully functional LeBron in the postseason. I don't know if he'll go 51-8-8 eight and eight tonight, but the player everyone's most excited to watch today is, of course, LeBron James, Broussard. <laughs> I am definitely excited to see LeBron. I will give you that, uh, even though you overstated it quite a bit. 
However, I'm going with Dame Lillard. Dame Dollar, 51 and nine assists over his last three games. Those are his averages. And the last time he saw LeBron in the Lakers, Nick, you know what he did. 48 points, 10 assists on Kobe yep. night in the Staples Center. I want to see if he yep. remains hot. If he remains hot, uh, the Lakers yep. could be in for a long series. And uh, so, Dame, I, I got to see if he if he stays hot. A quick addition to Nick's comment. We're not going to know if LeBron's hands are healthy until after the series, Nick. So I would I would sort of wait until you <laughs> proclaim that his hands are healthy. We have to know after the series. Don't we'll get an update on his wrists and hands. Hey, anyways, I went with CJ. I agree Dame's going to be great. I think he's going to stay hot. But CJ's been more up and down, mostly just up on a trajectory after he broke his back. 8, 25, and 29, he gets better and better. So hopefully have a 30-point game in the big Blazers game one victory over the Lakers. All right, Blazers, Lakers, that's the late game tonight. All right, take a break. On the other side, how did the Cowboys already take a loss? We'll discuss. First things first. This is crazy out here being in the bubble. I got to see this dude right after the game. He just dropped 57. The stress of daily life weighs on all of us, whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person trying to get through the day. Muscle pain and muscle tension, that's a real thing. That's why I use Theragun, the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And now it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. That's because the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor that's so quiet, you'll wonder if it's on. While you soothe your aching muscles with Theragun's signature power, amplitude, and effectiveness. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power that you need. Starting at only $199, go to theragun.com slash FTF right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash FTF, theragun.com slash FTF. For a lot of us, our home is now more than just our home. It's also a gym, a bakery, and a barber shop. And if you're a business owner or a people manager, home might also be where you do your hiring. That's where ZipRecruiter comes in. ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier because you can do it all from one convenient place. ZipRecruiter.com slash approach. No matter where you're hiring from, ZipRecruiter does the work for you. How? Well, ZipRecruiter's matching technology scans thousands of resumes and profiles to identify the most qualified people for your job. If you're really interested in a candidate, you can even invite them to apply for your job. With one click, ZipRecruiter sends them an email from you and you stand out from the competition. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, First Things First listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com approach. That's ZipRecruiter.com approach, A-P-P-R-O-A-C-H. ZipRecruiter.com approach. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Support for this podcast comes from the IT experts at CDW, people who get it. At CDW, we get the future workplace works differently. Today's my first day back. Almost forgot what floor we were on. Understandable. But with modern health and safety technology orchestrated by CDW, the future can work better. Technology like thermal screening and occupancy tracking enables employees to walk confidently into the office. Wait, this isn't my floor. Is this even my building? Even if it's been a while, IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash future of work. Listen no to Tom Brady segment. said, time for a little no huddle. I'm going to play quarterback, toss a few NFL topics around. All you have to do is catch everything. First up, here we go. Bad news at a Cowboys camp where their new all-pro defensive tackle, Gerald McCoy, suffered a season-ending torn right quadricep yesterday. All right, Nick, what does this now mean for the Dallas Cowboys? There's a 
brutal loss for them, man. I, I think, Mike, I thought one of the best things about the Cowboys was going to be their revamped defensive line. They get Tyrone Crawford back from injury. They bring in Dontari Poe. They bring in Gerald McCoy. And then last week, they add Everson Griffin. I think Gerald McCoy is a guy who might one day find himself in the Hall of Fame. And to lose him in your first full practice is just a killer, Mike. I thought Jared McCoy was going to be a great uh, asset to the defensive line for the Dallas Cowboys and a, a great compliment to Demarcus Lawrence. And, you know, when I seen that they hired Jared McCoy, I instantly thought about the secondary becoming better. And then for them to lose Jared McCoy is such a big blow to this team. I think it hurts them in, in all phases of the game. Uh, defensively, you know, it's where you win championships. And this guy was going to be a, a centerpiece for this defense. And, you know, for him to not be there now, it's going to be a big blow for them. They're going to have to find a replacement because I think he's going to help. He would have helped their defense overall um, as far as their scheme. So, you know, it's, this is not good for the Dallas Cowboys. And I was expecting a lot of great things from them this season. Hey, Mike, is there an emotional toll when your big offseason acquisition goes down outside of just on the field play? Absolutely. It's a major blow when you lose a guy who you're depending on, you're going to count on uh, for the entire season. And, you know, you kind of find yourself looking around like, what do we do next? And, you know, I know myself, I used to be looking at the roster like, who's the next guy that can step up, who can fill a void for the guy that we just lost? And it's not that easy. Um, it definitely takes uh, a lot out of your team. It's very deflated. And not just on defense, but on offense as well. We'll talk about that in a little bit. On to Tom Brady now. After 20 seasons playing under the defensive-minded Bill Belichick, Brady knows things may be a little different down in Tampa playing for the offensive-minded Bruce Arians. Take a listen. It's my 30th year playing football, including high school, and this is the first time I've ever had an offensive head coach. Um, so that wow. provides something a little bit different uh, for the quarterback. That's amazing. Um, that, yeah. that really is amazing. Yeah, 30 years of high school, college, and then pro football. And I've had, you know, the first time it's been an offensive coach. So it's 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 interesting. Are you happy? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good word. Hmm. Nice Bit of a little pregnant pause there before he answered that question. But maybe I'm reading too <laughs> oh, much wow, into Jenna. it. Mike. Well, did you see? I never heard him pause that long. Mike, what do you think having I an think offensive coach in Aaron's a delay, just like ours, um, will mean for Tom Brady. Is it really going to change a lot? He's been in the league so long. We already know his approach to the game. How much is that going to change for him? It's going to change a lot in terms of his approach. Uh, it's nothing like having an offensive coach, and I've pretty much in, in my entire career had three offensive coaches and one defensive coach, and it, it is a big difference. When I was young, I had Dan Reeves and you know, we spent a lot of time together drawing up concepts, trying to figure out what works um, and, you know, trying to understand his scheme. And three years later, I get Jim Moore, who's a defensive coach. And things were like vastly different. Um, spending more time with the defensive with the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, and, you know, I always look to the head coach, you know, for guidance. And, you know, it just wasn't there. And then, you know, in 2010, I get Andy Reid. And we spent a lot of time together, reminding me of my time with Dan Reeves, you know, how we picked and pulled from the offense. And it's just exciting, man, because every day you're going to get a text. You know, you're going to get some type of information that's going to help you within the offense as far as learning, which the learning curve Brady will be in. Um, but, you know, it's nothing like having an offensive coach, man. It's just going to help him in so many ways. And I look for him to just do more uh, on the offensive side of the ball stat-wise. I, Wilds, I think one of the most underrated parts of the Bucks this year is the cumulative brain power they have on the sideline. So you have Arians, who's one of the best offensive minds of his era, Byron Leftwich, who's going to be a head coach one day, and Tom Brady, the most accomplished football player of all time and one of the smartest football players of all time. That's just on the offensive side. And then the defensive coordinator is Todd Bowles. 
a guy who's going to be a head coach again, a guy who knows defensive football as well as anybody in the NFL. So when people are, I'm not as high on the Bucs as a lot of people, but if you are, one of the reasons has to be to steal a line from Charlie Weiss, a decided schematic advantage each and every week because of the, the, what the, they're going to be able to do in their preparation meetings on both sides of the ball was. Nick, you've said many nice things about Tom Brady. I don't know what happened. I don't know if we were on break and you, you got some, you know, you had some TB12 supplements, but you seem to be in a very good mood about Tom Brady. I appreciate it, as well as all those uh, Patriots Nation. And you are a Patriots fan, don't forget. Hey, Mike, I had a uh, question for you. I didn't totally understand this. And can you make me smarter about the relationship between the quarterback, the offensive coordinator, and the head coach. Obviously, Belichick and McDaniels work together, and it, Belichick's the defensive head coach. So is there, what is that relationship like when you have an offensive coach rather than a defensive coach with the coordinators in the mix? Um, it, it makes for more offense. And when you have a, a guy oh, in, like like Bruce Arians and Brian Leftwich, you know, who will be coaching Tom Brady at the same time, you're spending more time with those guys who understand the offense. You know, Tom already has some recollection of what he needs to do, but now you got two guys who you work with every day who's not spending any time with the defense, who's helping you understand, you know, what needs to happen within the framework of one particular play or many plays. So, you know, in terms of what the Bucks have right now, it's a big advantage um, in the National Football League for what they're going to be able to do. Huh. And I think it's... You know, I think it's going to take them, you know, somewhere deep in the playoffs and possibly uh, to the Super Bowl. I'm thinking next level for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because when you have an offensive move like Bruce Arians, it's, it's nothing that you can't do. Sky's the limit. And he's going to pull plays from back in the day. All right. Well, speaking of head coaches, Giants rookie head coach Joe Judge is trying to make a name for himself, which apparently consists of taking the names of the players off the backs of their jerseys. As Wilds would say, it's very Belichick-esque. Here's Judge explaining his coaching style. To me, it's important to know who the players are on the field across from you by their body type and how they move, more so than having to see a nameplate to identify your teammate. We should know each other as coaches and players by how we move and the way we carry ourselves. When a quarterback gets under center, I expect them to know, is that a safety in the box or is that a will linebacker? I expect them to know, is that a size defense head on the outside or is that an outside backer walked up? You know, the numbers and name stuff, we'll do that on game day. You know, right now we have numbers, you know, just to meet the, uh, the rules laid out by the league. But to be honest with you, the identification of who the players are, we should be better than that as coaches and players by knowing our teammates. That's why we took all the hello, my name is off our shirts when we started first things first. Nick, you like Joe Judge's no names policy on the jerseys? Oh, boy. This is one of the most ridiculous, sophomoric, <laughs> amateurish things you're going to see in the NFL this year. At the beginning of that soundbite, before we started playing it, he talks about how, and he alludes to it at the end, he yearns for the era where there were no numbers either. And he even says, he's yeah, like, no I numbers. once was at a place where we had no names or numbers, which I looked up his resume. He coached at three different colleges. You got to have numbers in college. You got 120 guys on the roster. And then the pros, he's been with the Patriots. And as he said there, it's against the rules to not have numbers on the jerseys. Now, we know the Patriots would never skirt the rules. So I don't know where he's talking about. Like, what? Should we take this to its furthest logical conclusion, Joe Judge? Do you, like, we, you want guys to just be able to know, you know what, that has the essence of Sterling Shepard. I can see his aura. This is the same thing with the other report out of yesterday is he was making coaches and players run laps. This, listen, run laps. all these guys think that the key to being Belichick is to act like the seventh grade phys ed teacher that everyone hated as uh -oh. opposed to being a football genius. So this is, I mean, to me, Mike, I, if I were if I were a pro and they're like, you got to earn the Laps. name on your jersey, you're lucky I gave you the number, I would immediately say, this, guy, this guy's in over his skis. There's a reason he was a special teams coordinator and nothing higher. I'm not, I'm not putting that oh. ceiling on him, but if I were a player, that's how I would feel about this, this carnival-type stuff that he's making me do as a New York Giant.
Yeah, it, it sounds very collegiate to me, and I didn't understand it when I first heard it or first read it. Um, but I understand the player identification part of it um, in terms of positioning, knowing what, you know, for the offensive side of the ball, you know, who's in front of you, you know, who's moving in the box, who may be uh, doing something to change the dynamic of the defense. So I get that in terms of, um, you know, knowing your peers and constituents. You know, I kind of understand that too. But at the same time, you got to have the, the names on the jerseys because uh, obviously, how are you going to get to know the guys, man? I think that's a very important part of it. Oh, you know, it just answer. reminds me of college. You know what? This is the Go Hawaiian ahead. pizza of stories. This is like pineapple on pizza. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to like it. And then I listen to him like, I love it. Laps. He's making him run laps, Nick. And also for your take earlier about the Porzingis, two laps after the show. Two laps, maybe okay. three. Listen, you, you, say, you say it's the Hawaiian pizza. Maybe that's because it's not fully cooked yet. I know you once did a very famous podcast called Half-Baked Ideas. This is half-baked coaching. Because let's really diagram what he said. He said, no, you should be able to identify the, the stand-up linebacker by body type when he's walking towards the line of scrimmage. I don't know how your football jerseys have worked, but the ones I've seen always have names on the backs of the on jerseys the anyway. So unless guys are backing their way into the line of scrimmage, having your name on your jersey doesn't help or hurt identifying guys as Daniel Jones tries to learn to not fumble. It is just another you way for someone to be like, I'm in charge, <laughs> you got to earn your way here. It's nonsense. Two more I laps. Two All right, guys, that, we have Jenna. four Two games on the NBA playoff docket tonight. LeBron and Dame matching up in the most anticipated one. Don't think the oh. King isn't aware of the challenges the Lakers are facing. Take a listen. But they're not your typical AC. I don't think they've been AC if they were healthy all year. Um, and that's my mindset. I'm not going in as a one. It's a one seed versus AC. I'm going in with um, the Lakers versus Portland. So happy to be there. Guys, check this out. A sneak peek of LeBron James in his new Space Jam jersey. You like these threads, Nick? It's cool looking jersey. I'm just so happy for Maverick and that whole crew. They obviously a lot of this stuff's been delayed a bit because of the pandemic, but I they've been there's something they've been working on. It, it's not overstating it to say a decade. And so it's super exciting that it's this close to coming out for that entire crew of guys who's been working on this. I like it. All right, stories to start your morning, gentlemen. A little baseball, Padre power. <laughs> so how about this? Fernando Tatis Jr. hit his first career grand slam last night, which would be good news, but with the count 3-0 and and the Padres up big, his manager, Chase Tingler, was not happy that the 21-year-old swung at the 3-0 and pitch. Nick, as a result, was as fired up in our morning meeting as he has literally ever been since we started Zoom morning meetings. Nick, why? Well, listen, I mean, to steal a line from new Radio Hall of Famer Charlemagne, who's going to be the donkey of the day today? Kane Fitzgerald was in the lead. Then Joe Judge sprinted out ahead with his nonsense about jersey <laughs> numbers and names and running laps. And then Jace Tingler's then? like, no, no, no. Let me take it. Hey, you've got the brightest young star in baseball. He just hit a three-run bomb. Let's make him after the game. Fernando Tatis Jr., literally apologize for hitting a home run. You're going to slowly try to wear this superstar down. Why? Uh, listen, you, no one in baseball history has ever come back from 7-0, so you should stop trying. It is so absurd, Broussard. It may, I'm angry on uh, Tatis' behalf and Jace Tingler. I know you used to co manage with the Rangers. Zip it. He did exactly what he's supposed to do. Hit bombs. And he's on pace in a regular season, by the way. Did 73 of them this year. Yep. It's an infuriating story, Broussard. Told you he'd be fired up. Go ahead, Wilds. Broussard hated the story. Broussard hated the story. Broussard giving the story the silent treatment he's so upset. You don't even get a response. I couldn't tell. All right, we'll loop Broussard back in, talk some basketball now. Mavs, Clips. Clippers took down the Mavericks last night in game one, 118-110. Kawhi with a team-high 29 points, 12 rebounds, while Luka had a modest 42. Nick, what does this result mean for the series moving forward? 
Well, listen, there's two ways to look at it. One is the Mavs obviously can hang with the Clippers, particularly on the offensive end. But the other is, Wilds, when you are the underdog, to have a game stolen from you by the officials to where now you essentially have to win five out of seven, if there was going to be a series upset, which I know none of us picked, I feel like maybe the chance for that evaporated last night when the referees decided to insert themselves into the action the way fans okay. are always begging them to do so, Wilds. So, okay. The referees do not want to throw out any superstar. Porzingis got his first tech because he should have known after that he was going to get a tech because Paul George got a tech and the second tech was warranted because the altercation went up rather than down. The more interesting thing, I think, Nick, is we talked about underdogs with no home court advantage. How do you think this plays out? Like, it makes sense in traditional uh, basketball. It's like, oh, the Mavs could have stolen a game here since it was a Clippers home game. But without any traditional home court, how do you think this series plays out? Do you think it's, it's just a quick four, a quick five? I don't know how the flow is going to work. Well, listen, I, I don't think it's my, my prediction was Clippers and six. I'll stick with it. But I do think that the Clippers very clearly don't have good answers defensively for the Mavericks when they're allowed to play with their full complement of players. And I don't I don't see that changing. And I mean, the, the, until Chris Tapps got kicked out, the Mavs were on pace for 118 points per 100 possessions, which is just at right around their all time historic offense for the regular season. And the Clippers were adding no uh, the, the resistance whatsoever. So I think for the Clippers to win games in this series, they're going to have to score 115 plus. Last night they were able to do it thanks to a ton of help from your beloved officials who you've been making excuses for all morning long, and it's making me nauseous. <laughs> I'm making not make, But why do you think this like. changes the course of the series? So, all right, we'll I move guess. on. I guess. I think it's going to uh, be like, to the I wonder if it gets down 3 nothing. They just kind of roll. On to the Sixers' stumble, game one last night. Despite Joel Embiid's 26 and 16, the Philadelphia 76ers, without Ben Simmons, could not hold on. Boston gets the win. Nick, what did we learn from game one? Well, Jason Tatum was excellent. Joel Embiid, for the, every game the Sixers win in this series, Embiid has to be superb. And he was for the first quarter. And then not so much. He started the game off, I think, 5 of 5 from the field. 11 points in the first was outstanding. And then he was good, but not great the rest of the way. However, for the Celtics moving forward, I think they can win this series no matter what. The no-bin Simmons, as Wilds pointed out, is a huge loss for the Sixers to defend Tatum. But Gordon Hayward might be done for the rest of the postseason. Yep. Certainly done for the rest of this series. And he was playing good basketball the last, well, prior to the stoppage and then in the restart. Wilds, I fear for the Celtics, who I have going to the conference finals, no Gordon Hayward could be massive for them against the Raptors in round two. Yeah, but Kemba looked good. I felt like Kemba was, Kemba was, looked springy, looked good. Hey, do you think Embiid is too honest in his post games, Nick? Like, after the game, he's like, I got to do more. It's like, yeah, dude, you're a superstar, and it's the playoffs. You're always like, yeah, I got to do more. You know what, guys, I got to do more. Like, yeah, I think you do. Yeah, listen, I, I actually find Embiid's honesty, for the most part, refreshing, but he's got to actually do it. I mean, we, we know he has, especially against Boston's biggest weakness but is their lack of a true interior defender. And so you, the only guy they had last year who could give Embiid trouble is now Embiid's teammate in Al Horford. So he's got to go into these games with the mindset of, uh, to steal a line from Shaq, I'm going to get you 35 and 20, and that's going to be easy. Without Ben Simmons, if he doesn't do that, I don't think they have the firepower to deal with the Celtics. And it wasn't yeah. just Joel Embiid last night. Sixers turned the ball over 18 times. That's going to kill you every time. All right, let's talk some first-round fears. Blazers, Lakers, Dane versus LeBron. Normally a one-seed versus an eight-seed wouldn't garner this much attention, but also normally not playing basketball in a bubble. LeBron knows the challenge that lies ahead facing Portland tonight. Take a listen. But they're not your typical eight-seed. I don't think they have been eight-seed if they were healthy all year. Um, and... 
that's my mindset. I'm not going in as a one. It's a one seed versus eight seed. I'm going in with um, this is the Lakers versus Portland. Um, so I've already thrown that out of the window. So um, I won't. I won't be going in with my guard down. LeBron James is dialed in. Uh, Nick, what do you make of LeBron saying that he has his guard up heading into the series tonight against Portland? Yeah, it's the exact right mentality. And it is, it's unbelievable to me that 17 years in, LeBron has to evidently continue to prove himself to folks. I had, I had people call me yesterday and say, it, listen, I, it, my concern about the Lakers is let's be honest, this isn't 2016 LeBron anymore. And I'm like, no. In 2016, LeBron sure. James, I think, was fourth in MVP voting, and this year he's going to finish second. Like, we have such a short memory, we don't even remember what happened this season, where he was clearly one of the two best players in basketball throughout the year. And we're about to see the best version of any athlete in any circumstance, which is LeBron in the postseason. And so, of course, he has to take the Blazers seriously because they have a top 10 player in Damian Lillard. And they are coming off four consecutive playoff type of games where their offense was exceptional in all of them. But to me, Wilds, that mentality is just bad news for your beloved Blazers more than it is concerning for the Lakers. So let's just play it out, and I'll see if I can move you off of this rock that you're cemented in. If the Lakers lost tonight, just if, Nick, just play it out mm -hmm. hypothetical, would you start mm -hmm. to get nervous then? No, no. They no. lose game one? I think they lost game one yeah, to Chicago one. back when he was with Miami and against, I think, MVP Derrick Rose and then won four straight. I know they lost game one to the Thunder, his first title, and then they won four straight. Like, no. It, it, uh, Jenna asked me this a couple years ago I know. when the Cavs Everyone. looked like they were an absolute mess. And she said, what is it going to take for you to be nervous that the Cavs aren't going to yeah, make the finals? Good question. And I said, for the other team to have three wins in the series and for the Cavs to be down double digits in the fourth quarter. And Jenna comes to me right before game six against the Celtics when the Celtics are up 3-2 and have home court and said, you're nervous yet? And I said, call me in the fourth quarter and let's see. And I think LeBron went 45 points and 35 points with 35 points and 45 points in those two games. But People, it, 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 people act like this is irrational confidence. This is proven performance. And the Blazers, you know, bless their hearts, they're still below 500. Like, oh my, the dangerous. Who's playing play better basketball still, right now? Not Nick. the new team. Who? Well, which team the, is playing better basketball right now? As we get set to play tonight. Thank you, Jenna. The Blazers played better in the seeding games because their they were playoff games for them. The seeding games meant nothing to the Lakers. They went three and five just like the Bucks did. But this isn't about who's playing the best because Wilds, nobody would be concerned if the Lakers were playing the Suns, right? And the Suns went eight and oh. That's true. If, if, if they were playing the Suns, I would be like, oh, Suns are hot. You would say, okay, the Lakers are going to overpower them. Because the Blazers have a true superstar player in Damian Lillard, people are doing the math wrong on this. Damian Lillard is not enough to beat just LeBron, much less LeBron and Anthony Davis. And so, and, and by the way, like the, let, me, let me toss a parry of question back to you, my friend. You said, what is it going to take for me to be nervous? What is it going to take for you to pick the Blazers to win? Because the series tips <laughs> off in about 12 and a so, half hours, <laughs> and last I checked, you're still like, oh, I'll tell you later. So, like, you're doing all this, oh, the Blazers could do it. If you think okay. they could do it, tell America they're going to do First it. First of all, I, okay. So, He's right. early, wow. early wow. on, when, right. we, when we got into the bubble, Jenna, and it was like, hey, yeah. they're going to invite the teams that aren't even in the playoffs. I was like, you know who's going to make the playoffs? The Blazers are going to make the playoffs. And you guys are like, no. Yep. And, Nick, you're out there on Twitter putting out, like, hey, Kevin, look at this funny draft I have. Ha, ha, the Blazers are going to be the best 10th seed. I'm like, you don't need to put that in your drafts, buddy. you got to put yeah. that in the trash if there's a trash button on Twitter. 
Blazer and Mega Player. <laughs> so I've been rock solid correct on that. And then I'm, I go online yesterday yes. and people are sending me text messages like, Wilds, why don't you pick the Blazers to beat the Lakers? I'll tell you why. Because I'm not 100% yeah. sure they will. And when you hear, <laughs> when you hear a prediction <laughs> from Kevin it Wilds, is. it's going to be 100% and there it is, right. Kev. I'm not 100%. I'm not, the problem is the so, Nurkic uh, AD factor is really scary. If, if, if it, Nurkic is not going to go out to the three-point line with AD. So I want to see a little bit of that, and I will give a prediction now. Oh. Seven minutes into the first quarter, I will, I will tweet a prediction. I want to see, I'll be able to tell okay. by seven okay. minutes. Seven minutes, I will say, oh, I'm ready to make a prediction. What's that? Jenna, while Wilds refused to pick the series, he did educate the audience in something I think they hadn't thought about. That you know what? Anthony Davis could be a God-blessed problem for Portland. You think? Why do you think I'm so confident? They've got two guys in AD and LeBron. Portland can't guard. Yeah, I agree. The Lakers are going to be a problem. In 12 hours and 7 minutes, oh, we're getting no, a tweet no. from Kevin Wilds. Hey, Kawhi Leonard was Didn't locked in all game last night in the Clippers' win. He was even locked in before the game, ignoring human interaction for this. a home screen. Who does he remind you of, Wilds? First things first. Oh, I love that so much. Super relatable. Back here with Chris Broussard talking some Clippers and Mavs in game one last night. Kawhi with a team-high 29 points, 12 boards, while Luka set a playoff debut record with 42 points of his own. It wasn't enough, though, as the Clippers get the win. 118-110, your final. Nick, how should the Clippers feel about the series after game one? Like they got away with a robbery, scot-free. And they'll never be prosecuted for it, thanks to a, 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 their partner in crime, Kane Fitzgerald and those referees. Wait, you're taking I, this all the listen, way. Listen, I've got, I've got some inconvenient truths to steal a line from our former vice president for Broussard about what was happening in that <laughs> basketball game before Chris Tapps Porzingis was thrown out. The, the Mavericks had outscored the Clippers 69-48. to 48 after that awful start. The Mavericks offensive rating until Chris Stapps was thrown out was 118. After he was thrown out, it was 88. In the quarter Chris Stapps was thrown out, the Mavs scored the fewest points they've scored in any quarter all season. You said earlier, oh, the Clippers were gonna close them out late anyway. Well, and I know a lot of the Clippers analysis has been evidence independent, but we have no evidence of that. This season, the Clippers have not been a good come-from-behind team. 18 times they've trailed by four or more going into the fourth quarter. There, I'm sorry, there's uh, 24 times they've trailed by four or more going into the fourth quarter. They're 7-17. Seven and 17. They've lost eight in a row. And when Chris Stapps got thrown out, they were down by five. So this idea that it wasn't about Chris Stapps' ejection is foolishness. So, Broussard, the Clippers should feel like, man, maybe we should have invested in some more perimeter defense because Luka just dropped 42 on our head and the Mavs were en route to score in 130 before the refs intervened. That's how I would feel if I were your beloved Los Angeles Clippers this morning. Well, first of all, let me tell you how Christoph Porzingis should feel after watching Nick on First Things First this morning. Like he's Larry Bird. I mean, my goodness, I guess he's a Hall of Famer now to hear Nick tell it. No way the Second Clippers would have come back and won had Christoph Porzingis not been ejected. Nick, do you know how many times the Clippers have played the uh, Mavericks this year? It's now four. Four. They're 4-0. Oh. And, 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 yeah. and they're 4-0. and oh. yeah. And two of those wins were yeah. by 15 points, okay? Look, I hated the mm -hmm. fact that Chris Stops was eliminated from that game. It was terrible. I, I, even Marcus Morris even said he hated to see it. Nobody wants that. But to sit here and act like that is why the Clippers won the game, no. Now, I don't know that they would have come back and won. I know they're going to win this series, and they would have won the series even if Dallas won the game last night. So to call it series changing and all that is ridiculous. All that said, the Clippers do have work to do. I think this was a wake-up oh. call for them. That's how they should feel about this. 
They wow. played too oh. much isolation basketball. That's See, I'm objective. I think with my head, not my heart, unlike some uh -huh. of us. Uh -huh. So what I'm, I can look at the Clippers and see the isolation on the offensive end. It was, it was almost like they were taking turns. It was Kawhi's turn. It was Marcus Morris's turn. It was Lou Williams' turn. It was Paul George's turn. They play a lot of isolation basketball anyway. They're like 22nd in the league in assists. But last night, they only had 18 assists. That's five below their average for the season, which isn't good. And so they need to have more ball movement. Obviously, defensively, they struggled against the Mavericks. But look, you talk about perimeter defense, Nick. They've got two of the best wing defenders in the league in Paul George. Where's the evidence? Hold on. Oh, we keep saying that. We keep really? saying that. Really? But how, how about their career? That's the evidence. Their career. Okay. They have but, a bad but we're game talking last year. About... I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But you're going to say now they can't defend the perimeter? Really? No. No. You really want to go What I'm there? going to say, what I'm going to say is it's the playoffs now. You would think people are at peak motivation. It was Luka Doncic's first career playoff game, and he scored more points in his first career playoff game than any player in league history ever has in their first career playoff game. It seems noteworthy to me. That's all. I'm just going to say that, you know what? It seems it is the fact that in the 25 minutes, or 27 minutes, pardon me, prior to Chris Stapps being thrown out, the Mavericks scored 71 points Seems like we should, while clearly the Clippers have the personnel to have a great defensive team, Beverly couldn't stop fouling, and Kawhi Broussard didn't seem that interested last night in taking on the challenge. Did he seem like it to you? Did, did, did Kawhi look like, you know what, I'm going to stop Luka Doncic. Enough is enough. Or was Kawhi Luka saving Doncic. himself for the offensive end? Luca had a great game, but he also had what ten turnovers. You failed to mention that, okay? 11, I think. He was turning the ball over eleven yeah. turnovers. You turn the ball over left and right. Patrick Beverly clearly still getting himself into shape after coming back from the sore calf. You are so overreacting to one bad game, and they still won. And, well, and see, I was well, young like you once. I was young like you once, Nick. Win and advance. That's all it's about. Win and advance. Ugly Give wins, pretty wins. Second best guy kicked off. Wins, makes it easy. Win and advance. Yeah. Whatever it is. Hey, the good news Tarnished is we win, don't have to guess win. how this series is going to turn out. Game two Wednesday night. Uh, we'll get back to talking about the pressure on Dak Prescott after the news the Cowboys received yesterday. But first, check out Jamal Murray running into Donovan Mitchell in the bubble after the Jazz Nuggets game. This is crazy thing out here being in the bubble. I got to see this dude right after the game. He just dodged 57. <laughs> Back here at Chris Broussard, four games last night, four games tonight. Let's talk some Mavs Clippers. Game one, Kawhi Leonard was fantastic, finishing 29, 12, and 6. His mate, Paul George, chipping in 27, but the momentum of this game changed early in the third quarter. Luka Doncic and Marcus Morris getting a little tangled up after the whistle. Here comes Kristaps Porzingis, gives Morris a little shove. Tempers only sort of flared. Porzingis, though, would technical. get hit with the second up. technical of the game. <laughs> and that's it. He's out. Ejected. The Mavs would go on to lose. Here is Kristaps Porzingis on the costly ejection. I should have been smarter. I already had the technical, which kind of didn't really have in my mind. Um, I hadn't been in that situation, really, you know, and, 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 and I was smart of him to kind of grab Lukin and get into his face and get a reaction out of me. And, uh, yeah, they, they got what they were looking for. All right, among those unhappy with the call to toss him, Mavs great Dirk Nowitzki tweeting that ejection, super soft. LeBron James chiming in. Man, that was bogus as hell. Come on, man. And Patrick Mahone jumping in with, that's trash, man. Well, you know who else is fired up? Nick Wright. Nick, what'd you make of Borzingis' <laughs> crucial ejection? It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was potentially series-changing. 
it was an awful job by the officials. And by the way, like I want Chris Stapp said something there that I've heard a lot of people echo. Oh, it's a smart play by Marcus Morris to pull on a guy and try to start a fracas and see what happens. Oh, okay. That's that's smart. That's a smart play. Well, then here's what the Clippers should do. Start Joe Kim Noah in game two, and as soon as the ball's tipped, have him punch Luka in the stomach. Maybe he'll hit him back and he can Savvy. get kicked out. It's not a smart play. It's nonsense. It's nonsense by Marcus Morris, and it's nonsense by the officials. Chris Epps got his first technical because he reacted to the officials blowing a call. They didn't have to react. They, they didn't have to give him a tech, and maybe even better, they could have just gotten the first call right. This right here is not ejection worthy. And to act as if there has not always been a standard in the NBA, a threshold for a player's first technical and a totally different threshold for a player's second technical is anathema to all basketball history. But if you do want to go letter of the law, then guess what? Marcus Morris deserved two technicals for this interaction by itself. The first for pulling on Chris or Luca, and the second for shoving Chris Stapps. And Zubac, where's his technical? It's terrible. And it absolutely marred an otherwise great game. Now, I don't know the Mavs were going to win, but I have a lot of evidence to believe they were. They had outscored the Clippers 69-48 to after the terrible opening start. The Clippers this year are 7-17 and when trailing by at least four going into the fourth. They were down five right there. And they had no answer for the Mavericks' offense. So you certainly have good reason to believe this was going to be a wonderful win for the underdog Mavericks. And instead, you kick out their second-best player for something, Broussard, that you didn't even need to go to the monitors on. There were no punches thrown. There were no elbows thrown. There was no headbutting. Just move on. And I, I couldn't, it, Mike Breen agrees with me, LeBron agrees, everyone agrees except for Kevin Wilds <laughs> and Steve Javi. So it, it, that's the corner, <laughs> I suppose. But Broussard, it's a, it's a terrible moment in what was otherwise a great basketball game. It was horrible. I mean, it, it was, I echo what you said, what LeBron said, what everybody said. You know who else thought it was horrible? Marcus Morris. He said after the game he hated to see Chris stops ejected. You don't want to see a guy ejected. It was just a terrible, the first technical I thought was the worst. And this one, you got to understand, look, we gave him a T earlier for something that doesn't deserve a T. Let's just calm everybody down and let's get back to playing basketball. Where I differ with Nick is when he uses phrases like series changing, no answer. Hold on, you've got two of the best perimeter defenders, probably two of the three best wing defenders in basketball, along with Giannis. And you got no answer for Christos Porzingis? Christos Porzingis, Nick, was three for nine. Okay, he was hardly lighting it up. He was three for nine. That's 33% shooting. And, and Christos Porzingis was there for all three games during the regular season when the Clippers beat the Mavericks 3-0 and beat them twice by 15 points each. So stop it with this. If Kristaps was there, the Mavericks would have won the game, and they were about to win the series. You don't believe that. No one believes that. I didn't say that. they so were going to win the series. Hold on. Wait you a second. Series Wait a second. Changing. I had series uh, yeah, changing. If you're going to get... Yes, if you are going to upset a heavily favored team, you cannot squander a game that you had control of. I picked, I picked the Clippers five. in six. You, you, you picked the They had outscored them by 21 since the opening three minutes of the game. They had clearly solved, at least for the time being, the Clippers' defense. And you minimizing how well Chris Stapps has been playing since really February 1st, but certainly since the restart, because he was 3-for-9 in that game, what that neglects to acknowledge is because Chris Stapps was not able to play in the fourth quarter, Maxi Kleba has to play the whole time, it refuses to acknowledge that the Mavericks played 304 quarters this season, their single lowest scoring quarter all season 
was that one right there when Kristaps got ejected. I'm not saying had the Mavs won that game, they would have won the series. I'm saying if they were going to win the series, they almost assuredly had to win that game, and the referees took that opportunity away from them. But Wilds, amazingly, your team ref on this. Right. I can't believe it. I don't I'm even know who you are ref. anymore. I'm not like the cop. I'm not the cop of the show. There's just yeah. one piece yeah. of the story, Broussard, that no one's talking about. Out, that Paul George got teed up for the same thing Porzingis was teed up for. And Porzingis took the technical foul. So not only did he misremember his own technical foul, he misremembered Paul he George's technical foul. And we can bake <laughs> this one. all into... So here, here's, here's Paul George. like, what, I got technical for punching the air? That, does that even happen? He's like, yeah, that happens. I'm going to take a free throw. I get a free point. Then when it's Porzingis' turn, he's like, why did I get a technical foul? Paul George would not have acted like that in the scrum because Paul George knew that he had a technical foul and he knows how it goes, guys. Nick, the one thing that I think that you're overlooking is when Porzingis enters the scrum, it becomes more of a scrum. It doesn't become less. He's not playing oh peacemaker. The, the energy level sure, goes up. Fine. Does he deserve a it's technical? It's not yes. ejection And he should have remembered the first is, No, Paul he George does not. It is not ejection worthy. It is not. It, you don't alter a playoff game because of that. And listen, Mike Breen, who always defends officials and always knows how many fouls guys have, how many technicals guys have, when the officials went to the monitor, Breen, Van Gundy, Jackson, none of them even raised the possibility. Oh, Chris Stepps better watch out. Already has a technical, could get ejected here. Like, they, they didn't, and you're saying Paul George wouldn't have done that. Paul George, it wasn't his teammate who had been pulled on. It was Chris Stapp's teammate who had been pulled on. It was, I, I, I mean, to Broussard, a, a, in your There's 30 years covering the NBA, am, am, I, am I unfair to say there is always a different threshold for the second technical than the first technical? Because that's how I've always I, I, seen it, Broussard. That, that I have to be honest, Nick. I, I do think that there have been other examples of this where in the playoffs, the league went by the letter, even as bad as it was. I mean, Van Gundy, you mentioned Van Gundy. Remember when the Knicks lost all those players, Patrick Ewing and several others in the series with the Heat back in the late 90s, because guys stepped off the bench, even though they were nowhere That's near right. the scrum. And they That's went right. by Especially the letter of the law. One. It ruined the series. And they do do that. The second technical, it wasn't horrible. It could have been called a T. The problem is they should have known he's already got one. Let's let it slide. Because the Fair. first technical was horrible. Whether they called on Paul George, you're right about that, Wilds. Neither of them should have been called. That rule needs to end. Let guys show emotion. It's that. one thing if they go on for 10, and 15 rule, seconds. And, and, I, an and I listen. Reaction, no. I got to listen. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I got to listen to Steve Javi say, oh, that has to be called the punching the air. And if it's not, referees get called to the principal's office. Evidently, Steve Javi hasn't worked a Warriors game in the last six years because Draymond would be ejected from every game by halftime if that was a hard and fast rule that everyone abided by at all times. It's insanity. And, and to act like the, the Mavs weren't playing certainly the best game they had played against the Clippers all year up to that point is to not acknowledge what we were seeing. Now, how they respond in game two, I don't know, but they had an opportunity in game one stolen from them by Kane Fitzgerald. It was Fitzgerald a run, and Nick. That's all. Mm -hmm. It was a run. Big win for the Blazers tonight. Like we got to go. 60 Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.